Welcome to Kuhau Podcast. We thank you for tuning in. If this is your first time listening in with us, we want you to know that you are a part of a new loving family. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that this message encourages you and transforms your life. Now stay tuned for today's message. You guys ready to hear the word? Amen. Matthew chapter 9. And this has been the theme. Later, as Jesus and his disciples were eating dinner at Matthew's house, there were many notorious swindlers there as guests. The Pharisees were indignant. Why does your teacher associate with men like that? Because people who are well don't need a doctor. It's the sick people who do, was Jesus' reply. And then he added, now, now go away and learn the meaning of this verse of scripture. And it isn't your sacrifices and your gifts I want. I want you to be merciful for I have come to urge sinners, not the self-righteous, back to God. And now as a case study, we, we've been talking about friend of sinners and how Jesus really cares more about relationship than he does perfection. And as a case study, I'm, I'm going to try to preach on this text, John chapter 9. And I say try to preach on this text because you know when someone preaches a message from a text and they absolutely crush it? Uh, this is the story of the woman that is caught in adultery. And in our Freedom Series, Pastor Lisa preached on this text. So I got big shoes to fill. All right? How many were blessed by that message that Lisa preached? Absolutely crushed that message. So I'm going to try to do my best here and preach this message on John chapter 8. And I want to read it from the message translation. It's a paraphrased version of the scriptures. And it's really so it could read like a story. And look what it says. It says, Jesus went across the mountain of olives, but he was soon back into the temple again. Swarms of people came to him. And he sat down and taught them. And the religion, the religion scholars and Pharisees led in a woman who had been caught in an act of adultery. And they stood her in plain sight of everyone and said, Teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Moses in his law gives order to stone such persons. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something incriminating so they could bring charges against him. And Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt. Anybody grateful that God can still use his pure hands to get dirty? Anybody grateful that we still serve a God that can still stick his hands into the messy stuff? Come on. And the sinless, uh, then he says, then they kept at him, badgering him. He straightened up and said, the sinless one among you, go first. Throw the stone. Bending down again, he wrote some more in the dirt. Hearing that they, hearing that, they walked away one after another, beginning with the oldest. And the woman was left alone. Jesus stood up and spoke to her. Woman, where are they? Another translation says, woman, where are your accusers? Does anyone condemn you? Verse 11, it says, no one, master. Look at Jesus' sweet, yet completely bold declaration. Neither do I said Jesus go on your way from now on don't sin 
I want to talk to you on this subject. I wasn't going to give it a title today, but I want to talk to you on this subject entitled, I don't need your permission. Look at the person next to you. Tell them, I don't need your permission. Now look at the other one, the one that you rejected. Tell them, I don't need your permission either. Tell them, get off my back. <laughs> Can we pray? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for these next few moments. God, I pray that you help me preach this three-hour message in 30 minutes so that we won't die of heat and exhaustion. In Jesus' name, we pray, and God's people shout, amen. Can we give the Lord a praise in this house one more time? Um, in the next couple of weeks, uh, some of you may know this, not everybody know this, but in the month of August, every year, Lisa and I celebrate our wedding anniversary. As a matter of fact, August 27th, Lisa and I will be making seven years. Could you imagine that seven years she's blessed and so seven years of marriage I wrote this song all the husbands know this song it says I'm the best husband in the world and from time to time I sing that song to myself there is no worship band I just I have a solo every single time um and and uh we've we've been making seven we make seven years marriage and I got to be honest, she is married to someone completely different she was married to in 2011. She has gone, I have gone through so many changes in the last seven years. It, it's crazy. Like, she married, literally, a guy who was 335 pounds. And because she's a chubby chaser, that's when she was the happiest. She looks at me now, she's like, you disgust me. And, uh, you know... In the last seven years, we, I've changed. I've, I, I used to eat meat when we, were, when we got married in our wedding. And today, I don't. And I used to preach the law and discipleship. I didn't know a clue of what grace was. And today, I don't. I mean, I've gone through so many diets and so many changes. She doesn't even cook for me anymore. She goes, what are you eating nowadays? That's what she tells me. What do you eat nowadays? And I just say, just make me a glass of water and I'll be happy. But, but what I've realized in the last seven years is though I've changed, one of the beautiful things yet not so beautiful things about my wife is my wife is consistent in who she is. I don't know if it's because of the age gap or the age difference of when we got married, but she is consistent. And many of you guys know that I'm the planner in the relationship and my wife is the, uh, how do you call that, uh, unorganized, free-spirited, a.k.a.? Spontaneous. Spontaneity is my word. And so um, my wife, I'm telling you, like, she's consistent in that. I've realized something in the last seven years is that my wife likes to do things, some of the ladies might relate in this place, likes to do things her way. And all the ladies say, amen. She likes to do things her way. And, and like, I, she goes food shopping, and I'm trying to help her out because for whatever reason, my wife, I like, when I go food shopping, I have, come on, Frank, I have a list. And, 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 and when I go to the, to the, to the food market, I, I go with my list, and when, you know what I do? I get the things on the, on the list. Okay? Now, I've been trying to help my wife get the things that I need in my life, and for whatever reason, 
she has the list on her phone, but I think it's like a functional thing. She's like, I refuse to look on that list. And my wife doesn't buy the things that she needs. My wife buys the things that she remembers. She comes home after food shopping every day, every single time she goes. She goes, oh, my God. I forgot the sofrito. She did it the other day. Am I not lying? She's like, oh, my God. And you know what I did? I wrote it on my list. I'm going to write that in my sermon. <laughs> She's consistent. It's so much so that, I mean, uh, point in case right here, her best friend from childhood that they call cousins because apparently, like, you guys call them BFFs for our young people. Where are our young people? Look at our young people right there. Look at that right there. Can we... Those are all Jenny and Kelby's kids. We got a youth ministry. <laughs> we used to call them, they call them BFFs. We used to call them cousins because if you grew up in the same neighborhood, that was my cousin. You know what I'm saying? Everybody like, yeah, that's my cousin right now. And so, and so like her cousin, a.k.a. her best friend, right, asked her to watch her dog because she was going out of town. And so my wife accepted the responsibility for her cousin, a.k.a. her best friend. And then she was like, hey, just hear the set of rules. All you have to do is go and check in at 12 o'clock, come back at 7 o'clock, and just watch my dogs, feed them. And at the end, whatever you do, make sure that you take my, two, my dog or, and you place them inside the cage. One thing I realized about Lisa is if she thinks something is a good idea, guess what? It's a good idea. And so I, I, my, 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 my Lisa decides that, oh, no, I can. She goes in. She feeds the dogs. And she's about to walk out. And they look at her. And she speaks dogs. So they communicate with her. <laughs> and they told her not to put her, put them in the cage. And so she didn't think that that was a good idea. And what it, Lisa did, she took it upon herself. She acted on her own accord. She didn't ask anyone any permission. She did things her way. And she said, this is not my house. This is not my dog. That's not my cage. But guess what I'm going to do? You're not going in the cage. Let's go. <laughs> Lisa has never loved the message like she did today. She's like, that's right, preacher. Go ahead. Take your time. Amen. She's like, I'm going to hear this on the podcast. Needless to say, the next morning, there was pee and poop all over the house, um, which she had to clean, but that's okay, because that was, that was what Lisa felt was appropriate at the time. And I've realized in the seven years that I've been married to, to this lovely woman is that Lisa likes to do things her way, and she operates on her own accord. And she, if she thinks something is good, guess what? It is good to her and every time I try to fight her I also remember this same thing that she's kind of like the God that I serve because the God that I serve when he thinks something is good there is nothing that can change his mind and I thought about this that the God that I serve acts on his own accord do you know that the God that we you and I serve the God that we serve he doesn't ask you permission he doesn't get a second opinion. You know that the God that we serve acts on his own accord and what he decides and what he deems fit and what he deems, deems appropriate is appropriate. He doesn't ask your past for permission to love you. 
doesn't ask your sin for permission to love you. He doesn't ask if you're worthy enough or you are not. God acts on his own accord, and he says, I don't need to check in on your past, your present, and your future. I give you my love. Here's why. Here's why. Not because you're good. It's because it's my love. Can anybody praise God for that? This is why in, in Romans chapter 5, what we see here in Romans chapter 5, look what he says. I love the way the New King James puts it. It says, but God demonstrates his own love. God demonstrates his own love that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Did you get that? Did you, did you realize I mean, I don't know about you, but I'd be, wanting, I'd be wanting to give God conversations like, hey, man, you can't be loving people like that. And God is saying, what are you talking about? That's my love. How can could, how could you tell me what to do with my love? If it was up to me, there are certain people that I would say, God, those are bad people. You shouldn't be hanging around with them. They're not good for your image. They're not good for you. They'll take advantage of you. They'll abuse you. But guess what? God says, it's my love. You can't tell me what to do with it. And this is why God's love is so expansive. Thank you so much. God's love is so expansive. Have you understood the magnitude of the love of our God? That God is so, God's love is so expansive, it's so relentless, it's so reckless, it's so unheard of, it's so absurd. This is the love of our God, so much so that God would choose to equate himself with love for the book of John says that God is love. This is why when we see a title like friend of sinners, we have to understand that it's not a title. It's not simply a title. See, friend of sinners is not a job description. It's not something that God came to do. It's actually who God is. Did you hear that? See, this is not something he signed up for and something that he wants to do. No, this is who God is. God is a friend of sinners. So this is who Jesus is. And if you ever want to know what love is, look no further than God. And if you ever want to look and find out who God is, look no further than Jesus. And if you want to know who a friend of sinners is, let me introduce to you the person who embodies that. And that's Jesus Christ. And then Jesus is, he's, he doesn't do friend of sinners, he is a friend of sinners. And those in the ancient day, around his day and age, they knew that's who he was. As a matter of fact, that was like a stumbling block for people. They were like, who is this man? Like, people hated the fact that Jesus hung out with people they didn't like. That's like seeing your best friend hanging out with your worst enemy. She can't be trusted. You, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You'd be like, but what were you doing hanging out with her? I saw on your location, because we share locations because we're best friends. No, that's called stalker. Hold that down. <laughs> right? Like, Lisa doesn't even ask me where I'm at no more. She goes, yeah, what were you doing at? <laughs> stalker. She's like, that's right, ladies, ladies. No. <laughs> right, and so, and so they hated the fact that Jesus hung around with 
with people they didn't like. And I can imagine the, the language of the Pharisees like, yo, Jesus, like, you're messing up our social structure here. Like, we have a system going on, and, and there's the, the high priest, the leaders of the religious law, and, and you're over here messing things up for us. And I could just imagine in this precise moment that the Pharisees are getting so frustrated because the rumor is that Jesus is a friend of sinners. But even love, no matter how much you love, you, we've, been un, we've understood that even love must have its limits. All right, you're, you're more loving than me, but even you must have your limits, Jesus. I understand you hang out with people that maybe have gotten the, the, the short end of the stick. I, I understand that maybe you're hanging out with people who we've rejected, but you can't be friends with bad people. Like, even your love, Jesus, must have some type of limits. You know what we're going to do? We're going to try to bring Jesus the worst of the worst and see if he's even willing to love such a person like this. Oh, you're a friend of sinners? Let's see how much of a friend of sinners you are. It's in this moment that I could imagine the Pharisees decide that they're going to go and trap this woman and get this woman. And many of you already know the story that the Bible says that Jesus enters the synagogue and he begins to teach those in the synagogue and the Bible says that swarms of people came after Jesus. And right in that moment, what you see is these Pharisees, they grab this woman and she must be half naked because the Bible says that she was caught in the very act of adultery. Can you imagine that? I asked my wife one time, have you ever been caught doing something? She said, no. And I swallowed hard. I was like... I say, I need an example of when you were caught doing something. She goes, I, don't, I can't relate. Sorry. <laughs> I ain't lying. I ain't lying. I'm telling you the truth. Pray for your pastor. This one. And, <laughs> and she was caught in the very act. And, and the Bible says they dragged her. They dragged her into the temple. And I could imagine everybody that was around there, what, oh my God, the, the mothers, what did they do? They grabbed their kids and they covered their eyes like if it was a bad scene in a movie. And the, and the men in the synagogue, they covered their eyes. And, and what happened was, and now they confront Jesus and they say, Jesus, we got, a, we got an issue with you. We want to ask you a question because even your love must have limits. No matter how much your reputation precedes you and, it, and your reputation says that you love every single kind of sinner, um, you can't, it has to have limits. I want to see how far your love can go. Hey, here's a woman that is caught in the very act of adultery. Now, catch this. I think many times we can get over things through time. But have you ever done something so bad and in that very moment Jesus comes into your room? See, I think many times that when we commit sin and when we struggle with certain situations, let's be honest, it takes us some time to get over. But what about at the very moment that you were failing God, God was right there with you? I think we can get over it. All right. Oh, man. I messed up Wednesday. Oh, I, I slept with this girl and I shouldn't have slept with this girl. I looked at some images on the internet and I shouldn't have done that. I lusted over something I shouldn't have lusted over. I had an inappropriate conversation that I shouldn't have had. I'll wait till Sunday to get right. And God says, no, you can get right right now. 
in the midst of her being caught in adultery, she encounters Jesus. And they say, hey, the law of Moses says, and I want to talk to you about the law of Moses because the law of Moses were these 10 rules. Altogether, it was about 613 rules. But precisely what's being spoken about in this context is the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, a.k.a. Charles Heston. Heston? Heston? Charles, Charles Heston, the gun guy. Anyhow, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Sayings, the Ten Laws, and for, for 1,400 years, this law was given before the coming of Jesus. And for 1,400 years, no one was able to fulfill this law. This is the law that God gave to Moses, and, and Moses now gives to the people, and it was for the covenant. It was for a covenant. It was to establish relationship, but the truth is that rules will never be able to set you free. Rules will never, see the law was given, but the Bible says that grace came. Did you get that? The law was given, but grace came. See, because when you were given the law, what it was supposed to make you think is this is impossible to accomplish. But grace came because you couldn't go. And the Bible says grace came in the form of Jesus Christ. And what the law could not do, grace came and did for each and one of us. And so the law was given, but grace came. Rules can never, ever set you free, but one moment with Jesus can change everything. And so this is, this is a criminal. This is a criminal. Like, I, 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 I want to sound a little judgy right now over this woman, because I want you to paint the picture. I want to paint the picture for you. This is a woman that is a homewrecker. This is a woman that is committing adultery. She's actually sleeping with someone else's husband. By the way, where's the dude? Right? Like, where's the, uh, all the ladies? Grizel's like, that's right, that's right. We got to arrest him too. Um, where's the dude, right? But I, I think that intentionally it's left out because so often the Bible calls the people of Israel an adulterous generation. And the Bible also says that the church is the bride of Christ. You know what's funny? I think that this is a picture of the church. And what God is saying is saying, he's saying, even when you commit adultery, I am there to rescue you and save you. Because he wants to let you know that I am your husband. The one you're cheating on is not the man you're with or the man that you left. Or that the one you're cheating on is really me. Because no matter, no matter what you give into outside, you, your unfaithfulness is more to God than it is to anything else. And so this is a criminal, man. This is a woman that is a whole, this is not someone, let me give you an example of Vic. Help me out here. Like, if, 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 if you see, if you see Vic, me and Vic, right, we're, we're in the streets, and all you walk into is Vic slapping me in the face. Come be the example, Sheila, here. Vic, you're going to, no, you're not. All you walk into is Vic slapping me in the face. Everyone's going to look at Vic and be like, yo, what? yo, yo. Right? But then he goes, nah, he slept with my wife. 
Look at, look at everybody. Guys, I'm past the row. You guys weren't supposed to believe that. Denial. But then he says, nah, he slept with my wife. What, what does everybody think you, Vic? Thank you. What does everybody say? Oh, no. That's it? You, you're just going to slap him? All of a sudden, instead of us condemning him, we, can, we condone what he did based upon the principle of what's worse. <sighs> Woo! Based upon the principle of what's worse. And this is what the Pharisees and the Sadducees would do. They would create this hierarchy of, you are a worse sinner. I'm, I'm, a le I'm, I'm, I'm more holier than you are based on, 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 on how bad you were. But this woman, I want you to paint the picture. We didn't feel bad for her. In this modern day and age, when we hear it preached, we kind of feel bad for her. She's, she's you know, probably shameful. She's probably, but no, this is a bad person. But I want you to catch this. Jesus bent down. Look, look what happens. Jesus... Verse 6, bent down and wrote with his finger in the dirt, and they kept badgering him. He straightened up and said, the sinless one among you, go first and throw the stone. Bending down, he wrote some more on the dirt. They bring her, they bring him this bad person. I don't want you to see this as a person that we should feel bad for in this context for a second. And what Jesus, Jesus, oh, you know what I think Jesus is going to do? <gasps> oh, and me? Look what Jesus, even in his posture, even in his poise, even in his composure, he says, I'm in control. Even, even in, his, in, 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 his, in his moment when he's being confronted with what would be considered, oh my God, did you see? He slapped her, he slapped him, but oh, do you know what? Let me tell you something about this woman, Jesus. She was caught, she's not an adulteress. She was caught right now, a few seconds ago. She was leaving with somebody. And Jesus is chilling. As if it doesn't surprise him. Oh, 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 you think I'm surprised by that thing? You think my love has no... Limits. Let, 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 me, let me explain to you. I want, I want to tell you today, if you, no matter where you come from, no matter what sin you've committed, there's nothing that you can do that makes God go, oh my God. For the Bible says where sin abounds, grace much more abounded. This woman is guilty of sexual sin. This woman is guilty of a sin that too many people would not give a blind eye to. They would not give a slap in the wrist for. And Jesus says, nothing. Because he's always in control. And I thought about this because I said, God, man, like, here's an adulterous woman. What can make Jesus so composed? Because they thought they were bringing a problem to Jesus, but what they didn't know, that they were bringing to the problem, Jesus. See, what you don't understand is many times we want to bring our problems to Jesus, but I have this thing in my life right now that I say my problems have me. I don't have, my pro I don't have problems, my problems have me. What do I mean? What do I mean? 
that guess what? I am the solution to the problem because I know who I am in Christ. Therefore, it's not me. Oh, my God, I got problems. Guess what? There's a problem that has your name on it because you have been assigned to be the solution of that problem. Come on. Can anybody give God some praise in this room? And so Jesus, he's not disturbed. Why? Because he's the solution. This is not the, his, his first go around on the rodeo. Jesus is the same one riding on the dirt. Do you know what God created each and every one of you with? From dirt. Do you know what Jesus in the original language is doing? He's modeling the picture of creation. And he's sticking his finger in the dirt. Do you know what else Jesus used his finger to write? The law. What they were bringing. But before the law, watch this, before the law was ever written, before Adam ever sinned, God wasn't reacting to a problem. God already had the solution before the problem ever existed. And so I look up, I say, God, man, this, 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 is, this, is, this is bugging me out right here because I, I, I see this woman and he's so, he's so composed, he's so in control. And then I'm reminded, whoo, then I'm reminded, I'm reminded that, that there, there's some adulterous women in Jesus' history. This is not Jesus' first time encountering an adulterous woman because he's looking at this woman. See, the reason that I can relate to this woman is because there, there's also Matthew. Matthew. You know Matthew? Matthew's the one that writes Friends of Sinners. Can we go to Matthew? Matthew chapter... Oh, I don't have it. No, no, go back. <laughs> That's fine right there. Matthew chapter 9. The same person that writes this also writes the genealogy of Jesus. And what you find in the genealogy of Jesus is four unlikely candidates. Let me introduce them to you. Number one, Tamar. Do you know who Tamar is? Tamar poses as a prostitute and sleeps with her father-in-law. You know who else is in Jesus' genealogy? Rahab. She's a public city prostitute. Do you know Bathsheba? She sleeps with King David while married to King David's commanding officer. And I'm saying, God, how is it that you're faced with this woman of adultery, but you also come in the form of adultery? He's faced with an issue of adultery, but the reason that he can relate to her is because I'm not only a friend of sinners. I didn't just come to sinners. I actually came through sinners. Watch this, watch this. And when you know that Jesus came through sinners, you know that he came to sinners. And when you know that he came to sinners, you know that he came for sinners. Now watch this. This is what you don't know. That genealogies were only written to preserve the bloodline. Genealogies were to demonstrate 
that the person whom they were speaking about was a person who was pure, a person that was a pure breed, a person that the Messiah, for instance, had to come through a pure bloodline. The Messiah had to come. And so if you were to write Jesus' genealogy, what you would do is try to write a genealogy of the perfect people in that genealogy in order to establish that Jesus is the Messiah. And so a genealogy essentially was to ensure that the person we were speaking about was of pure bloodline. But when you see these three unlikely characters in Jesus' genealogy, you have to think this cannot be the Messiah because his genealogy is unpure. But what they don't know about Jesus is this, that the genealogy didn't make Jesus pure. The genealogy doesn't make Jesus pure. Jesus made the genealogy pure. Because look what Peter says. Look what Peter says. Look what Peter says. Oh, my God. It says, God chose him as a ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. What is he saying? That before there was a Tamar, my blood was shed. That before there was a Rahab, my blood was shed. That before there was a Bathsheba, my blood was shed. For then, before there ever was a sexual sin problem, there was the solution that was found in Jesus. Come on, I dare you to give God a praise in this place all over this room. He says, the reason that I can look at this woman and say you have no condemners is because before she ever committed the act of adultery, I came through the act of adultery. But the truth is, is that they're not unpure. They're actually pure. Because Revelation says this. The lamb was slain from the foundations of the world. You think your sin surprises God? Your sin was already covered, almost like an insurance plan. When you have insurance, you don't need to worry about the damage because it's more than full coverage. Come on, you can give God some praise for that. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and I want to share this last thing with you today. See, Jesus is a friend of sinners. But Jesus didn't just come to sinners. He came through them. The genealogy doesn't make Jesus pure because it was Jesus himself who was dying for his own genealogy. Because before the foundations of the earth, the Bible says that the lamb was slain. But it's revealed now. In other words, your sins were already covered before you ever committed them. It was just revealed to the world when Jesus died on the cross. This is the gospel, my friends. The Bible now says that they asked Jesus, well, what is, the law says this, what do you say? And Jesus says this, he says, 
He who is without sin. Now watch this. He who is without sin. Go ahead, chuck it. He who is without sin, just cast the first stone. Go ahead, chuck it. Oh, you think you sin less? Go ahead, chuck it. Throw it. And he goes back to writing on the ground. He goes right back. He goes, you're without sin? Kill her. That's what you want? He was without sin. Go ahead, chuck it. And I thought about this because I said, isn't it interesting that the Bible says that Jesus is a friend of sinners? But sometimes we function as if Jesus is a friend to certain kind of sinners. See, because you're bringing her to me because she sinned. And because you think her sin is greater than yours, but what about your sin? As a matter of fact, the Bible says that you couldn't bring a woman into the temple accusing her of adultery unless you brought her husband or the one that she was committing adultery with. So even them themselves were breaking the law by bringing in her without her, her out with the other person. It's like, and, and I want to be honest, like, I don't want to be the kind of church that that operates like Jesus is the friend of certain kind of sinners. Oh, because you sin with the little sins. That Yeah. I want to be the kind of church that says we're the friend of sinners. Because Jesus was a friend to us. And we go back to what we said in the first week that Paul said, I'm the chief of sinners. I don't want to be the kind of church that wants to clean fish before we catch them. So come with your sin. Come with your mess. Come with your issues. My job is not to clean you before you get caught. Let God's love captivate you in such a way that his word, the Bible says, begins to wash you like a bride. They bring her in. Now we see her possibly in shame, half naked. And I just can't help to think that Jesus created humanity with his finger. And when he created them, he created them naked, pure. And the Bible says that when they sin, shame enter the world. Not just sin shame into the world and here you have a woman half naked full of shame and Jesus is still writing and he looks I could, I could imagine they made eye contact and he says where are your accusers she goes they're not here Lord he goes does anyone condemn you no no one condemns me and he goes neither do I that's great just right there. That's amazing just right there. If we were to end the message right here, just Jesus saying, I do not condemn you. But I did a, I went a little bit deeper. And I said, this, this, this Jesus makes this declaration. He makes a declaration. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, 
What authority did he have to condemn her? He was the only one that could condemn her because he was the only one without sin. But if you study Jesus a little bit more, you'll go in Hebrews and you'll read that Hebrews will tell you that Jesus is the high priest of the church. Now the high priest had a responsibility in the Old Testament. I want to read to you what Leviticus says to us. It says, and the priest, now this is the Old Testament, this is the responsibility of the priest. In the Old Testament, people will bring the high priest an animal, a possession, an object, and the high priest will now deem the value of the thing. And so let's say you brought something and you thought it was worth $10. Or maybe you thought it was worth the price of something you could buy at five below. But Jesus would come and mark up that value and he would say, or the high priest would come up and he would say, no, that's not $5. You might have thought that was $5, but that's actually worth $1,000. All of a sudden, an item that was $5 in a second became $1,000. Why? Because the priest declared it so. Now here's where it says in Leviticus, and the priest shall set a value for it, whether it is good or bad. As you the priest value it, so shall it be. Whew. As you the priest value it, so shall it be. I wonder how much the Pharisees valued this woman. But what they didn't know was that they were bringing it to the high priest. And when they brought it to the, oh my God, I wish I was preaching to someone today. They were bringing it to the high priest. And when they brought it to the high priest, they, would, they thought that the high priest would agree with them. But he said, no, 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 no. You might think she's worth nothing, but she is worth my life. She is worth my grace. She is worth me coming down from heaven. Come on, is there anybody in this place that can say, I thought I was worth nothing. I thought I didn't have any value, but my circumstances brought me to the high priest. My issues brought me to the high priest. And he said, you're not an adulteress. You have an assignment. He said, you're not broke. You're blessed. He said, you're not an addict. You're set free. you to hear me today and I really want you to lean in right now there's not gonna be any prayer counselors today there's not gonna be any prayer counselors today but I want to pray for you and this is gonna be maybe the boldest thing you've done but I need you to hear me 
sexual sin has brought so much shame to the body of Christ. Sexual sin has been probably the most hidden sin in the body of Christ. And um, some of you know this, but I, I really want to touch on it today. If there's some people here struggling with sexual sin, I never highlight a sin. But I just felt like this is not Rolando. Like I felt like this is what God wanted to do with the body of Christ today. This is, trust me, this is not comfortable for me. But I just believe that there's people here that God wants to set free from this particular area because this particular area has brought so much condemnation, so much guilt, and so much shame. And the Bible says that this woman was caught in sexual sin. Now, you might say, well, I don't have an issue with sexual sin, but here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that if you look at a person and you lust, you committed adultery in your heart. That's what the Bible says. In the same way that I don't believe this sin surprised Jesus, in the same way that I don't think that Jesus was thrown off and thrown back by this sin, and he set this woman free, I also believe that Jesus can do that for you today. Can I be honest with you today? I've been guilty of sexual sin. Can I be deeper? Can I get deeper? I've been guilty of sexual sin even as a Christian. I've been guilty of sexual sin even as a pastor. I can tell you today that the God I serve has set me free. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, you're here today and you say, man, I, I was just in sexual sin last night. I was fornicating. I was up late at night watching images I shouldn't have been watching and I, sh I was lusting and I was maybe talking to a girl that I shouldn't have had no business talking to and I was doing things I should have not done. I wanna promise you today, this is not a judgment, a judgmental church. That we're all guilty of the same sin and that's just falling short from the mark. So I want to give you a guarantee today that I believe God will honor your boldness. I do, I do. And some of us have been struggling. You've been struggling. I remember for 10 years I said, God, get me. I wish I could just have a press a button and it just go away. Some of us are like, oh, when I get married, it won't. Oh, when I get married, it's going to stop. No, it's not. Trust me. I'm keeping it real with y'all today. God wants you to break free from that. 
Maybe there's some generational curses on your life. My father wasn't only a womanizer. My father, I mean, I'm talking about ridiculous things that I would not even conceive of. But lust got a hold of him in such a way. My uncle introduced me to pornography at eight years old. And I struggled with pornography all my life. God wants to set you free today. God wants to set you free today. Would you be so bold to join me at this altar and be like this woman that is unnamed and is saying, Jesus, I'm at your feet. One, two, three. Run up here right now. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Our mission here at Christ Uncensored House of Worship is to love God, love people, and love life. Kuhau is a place where our story is still being written. Together, we can do more than we can ever do alone. If this message has encouraged you and you wish to partner with us in taking this message all across the world, go to kuhau.com slash give or follow us on any social media platform. Thank you in advance for your support and generosity. Come and begin a whole new journey with us.